Section 1 of the History of the Art of Table Setting. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by phone. The History of the Art of Table Setting by Claudia Quigley Murphy. Table Setting. Our social customs, as well as our language, are easily traceable to our Anglo-Saxon origin. From the days of King Arthur, that heroic monarch with his knights of legend and mystery, the round table has been a synonym for community of interest and adventure. Great as is the contrast in material things between the barbarism of these long-ago yesterdays and the luxuries of today, it is even less than the contrast between the manners and habits of the guests at the festive board. Unless we occasionally glance back at the successive steps leading to our modern environment, we cannot realize that, simple American citizens that we are, we are enjoying as everyday comfort a luxury in table-setting and equipment unknown to the greatest monarch or the richest noble in the days of our not very remote ancestors. In all the illustrations of the Anglo-Saxon period, the table-setting included the salt-cellar, which was the first thing put on the table. The salt was far more than the necessary condiment as we know it. It was in itself symbolic. To sit above the salt was to sit in a place of honour, and until the salt was put upon the table, no one could know where would be his allotted seat. Then came the silver dishes for holding vegetable or fish, sometimes meat, the round cross-marked articles being small loaves of bread, always present, the manchet of early days. Occasionally a knife is shown, and the prescribed rule was that it be well scoured. The spoons and knives were not furnished by the host, but were brought by guests whose servants, so equipped, cut the meat and carved the food for each person. The fair and bonny Queen Elizabeth was accustomed to lift to her mouth with her virgin fingers the second joint of the turkey and gnaw it to depletion. Careful rules were laid down for the carvers, where the officer of the mouth, or carver, is told, Set never on fish, flesh, beast, or fowl more than two fingers and a thumb. The guests had no plates or forks and few knives, but ate with their hands and threw the refuse on the floors, which were usually stone, sometimes covered with rushes. Dogs and cats were freely invited to all feasts to serve a most useful purpose of gathering discarded food. In the Book of Courtesy, it is noted as very bad form to stroke the dog or cat availing itself of the general hospitality, nor is the guest at the noble table to pick his teeth with his knife. The Cloth at that time the cleanliness of the cloth or nap was of paramount importance and a matter of great pride generally speaking the service on the tables was very simple consisting of the silver bread basket for the notables cups sometimes stands for the dishes of meat and vegetables called messes brought by the cook the knife and sometimes spoons for soup and liquid and always the small round loaf of bread or mansion Hands were usually wiped on the sides of the tablecloth, for napkins were not in general use. Later came the silver ewer, or pitcher, and laver, or basin, presented by a servitor with towel on his arm, as shown in many old illustrations. Here the hands and possibly lips were cleansed from greasy contact of food, for there were no intervening forks in that period. The ceremony of using the ewer and laver, or basin, preceded as well as followed the meal. The need for formal finger-cleansing was imperative, as the food was served in messes or in trenchers, which were the common service for at least two, and frequently for four or more persons. So eating off the same plate in the days of Chaucer is more than a figure of speech. In the romance of Lancelot du Lac, 
a lady complains to her husband that she has not eaten of the same dish with her knight for several years the niceties of table manners even then demanded that the hands which dipped into the common dish should be clean that it was no easy thing to meet the requirements of table courtesy and eat daintily is shown by chaucer in his picture of the prioress the gentlewoman of his day of whom he writes there was also a nun a prioress at meat well i taught was she with hall she let no morsel from her lips fall no with her fingers in her sauce deep well could she carry a morsel and well keep that no drop fell upon her breast her overlip wiped she so clean that in her cup was no furthing seen of grease when she drunken had her draught full seemly after her meat she wrought while the nobility expressed its wealth in its silver trenchers wassail bowls ewers lavers basins and other implements and tools of the table the yeoman gloried in his pewter and the yoko contented himself with making a slice of black bread serve as trencher for his mess of meat and consuming it as part of the meal naturally the carving of the meat fowl or fish so that suitable portions could be served was a most important act essential to the progress of the meal and the comfort of the family or guest robert may in his book the accomplished cook which he published in sixteen sixty seven gives these terms of carving which are preceded by the invitation here's all the forms of every implement to work or carve with so he makes thee able to deck the dresser and adorn the table and so you're welcome pray fall to and eat break that deer leech that brawn rear that goose lift that swan sauce that capon spoil that hen fruff that chicken unbrace that mallard unlace that coney dismember that hern display that crane disfigure that peacock unjoint that bittern untach that curlew allay that pheasant wing that partridge wing that quail mince that plover thigh that pigeon border that pasty thigh that woodcock thigh all manner of small birds timber the fire tire that egg chine that salmon string that lamprey splat that pike sauce that place sauce that tench splay that bream side that haddock tusk that barbel culp on that trout fin that chevin trance in that eel tranch that sturgeon under trench that porpoise tame that crab barb that lobster at banquets or suppers where desserts were most elaborate diagrams or explicit details were provided for the butler and other officers sometimes called sergeants and yeomen of the pantry the banquet of sweetmeats or kickshaws were disposed on silver dishes upon a central revolving machine or top made of wood of osier or willow for lightness the elaborateness and splendour of this arrangement was topped off with the epern on which large pyramids of fruit were placed carefully composed of peaches apples plums grapes and oranges the latter the especial delight of oliver cromwell whose wife joan rebukes him for his excessive fondness as unseemly and extravagant the whole was topped off with a glorious pineapple frequently rented for the occasion so the stories go and when a portion of pineapple was desired the tactful butler said the flavour of the peaches is choice and a portion of peaches was served so the pineapple passed intact to its next table the nef one of the most interesting of the ornaments of the table of that period was the nef or ship-like stretcher usually of silver sometimes of pewter which served to contain the salt cellar towel or napkin of its lordly owner it was usually topped off with its emblem in the illustration a bird is shown and it also carried the coat of arms the benches provided seating for the many 
chairs were for the great people so to sit on a chair was an event frequently the benches were boards on small trestles but not in use they were folded and stored in corners of the great hall so lived the people of merry england five or more centuries ago so they live today in other lands and we may safely assume that the rise in the scale of socialized living is definitely marked by its table-setting standards the lady of yesterday had to fulfil certain definite requirements there was little guesswork concerning her tasks these things were required of her she must have skill in household medication cereals their condition cookery its execution textiles their dressing hem flax wool spinning the process weaving the manipulation and choice of looms dairy work butter cheese etc distillation wines and simples baking care of bakehouse brewing care of brewhouse perfumes their preparation sewing and fabrication of clothing dyeing a knowledge of dye stuffs there is practically little mention of laundry in its work for the simple reason that there was little body linen or clothes to launder lingerie and night dresses coming into use many years after the period when the silken velvet or woolen gowns were soiled they were put into the dye pot an interesting story of the laying of queen elizabeth's table is englished by horace walpole from an old letter of a traveller of that period as follows a gentleman entered the room bearing a rod and along with him another who had a tablecloth which after they both had kneeled three times with the utmost veneration he spread upon the table and after kneeling again they both retired then came two others one with rod again the other a salt cellar a plate and bread when they had kneeled as the others had done and placed what was brought upon the table they too retired with the same ceremonies performed by the first at last came an unmarried lady said to be a countess and along with her came a married one bearing a tasting knife the former was dressed in white silk so when she had prostrated herself three times in a most graceful manner approached the table and rubbed the plates with bread and salt with as much care as if the queen had been present when they had waited there a little time the yeomen of the guard entered bareheaded clothed in scarlet with a golden rose upon their backs bringing in at each turn a course of twenty-four dishes served in plate these dishes were received by a gentleman in the same order they were brought and placed upon the table while the lady taster gave to each guard a mouthful to eat for fear of poison during the time that this guard which consisted of the tallest and stoutest men that could be found in all england being carefully selected for this service were bringing dinner twelve trumpets and two kettle-drums made the hall ring for half an hour together at the end of all the ceremonial a number of unmarried ladies appeared who with particular solemnity lifted the meat off the table and conveyed it into the queen's inner and more private chamber when after she had chosen for herself the rest goes to the ladies of the court the queen sups and dines alone with very few attendants and it is very seldom that anybody foreigner or native is admitted at that time and then only at the intercession of somebody in power from paul hensner's journey into england printed at strawberry hill by horace walpole 1717 to 1797 the story of the entry on the stage of domestic life of the various implements of tableware is a record of the advance in gentler living table manners became a matter of convention as well as a fact showing definite progress in fastidious habits at the table in lady rich's closet sixteen thirty three 
discussing the paper frill around the bony end of the leg of mutton which had already made its appearance the lady was admonished to adopt a convenient instrument at the risk of being called over dainty in carving she was told to distribute the best pieces first and that it is decent to use a fork it was at about this period that women began to officiate at the head of the table in the useful task of carvers and distributors of the meat which was passed out on a broad flat knife sometimes as much as four inches in width though this new duty brought with it the honour of promotion to a high place above the salt they were really repeating their old task as distributors of the bread as in earlier days careful instruction in carving and serving meats was given by teachers and professors in the gentle art of etiquette among the points of behaviour to be observed at the table were these to sit straight at table nor by ravenous gesture discover a voracious appetite talk not when you have meat in your mouth nor venture to eat spoon meat so hot as to bring tears to your eyes which is unseemly the hallmark of the graces of yesterday is found in the silver which has come down to the fortunate ones of today possible it is that this evidence of their genial living happy thinking is but the tangible heritage of the days gone by and by the same evidence shall we be judged by our descendants shall we leave them pewter brass or the honoured and honourable silver the queen of table metals there was something more in the development of table service than convenience or utility for in this process came handsomer living and nicer and finer service no longer did we feed as ravening wolves or hungry animals but rather as humans of greater refinement the literature of the seventeenth century is redolent of good living and choice service samuel pepys our much-loved diarist of that period tells of his dinings at which we were merry when careful cooking and fine living were more than a theory rather an outward evidence of an inward desire for a more satisfactory rendering of culinary art silver has served a very definite use in its portrayal of home life and manners of the robust ages that precede us for silver definitely marked the advance in riches of the individual as well as of the nation and in the seventeenth century they certainly set great store or value on silver remember pepys disappointment at the christening when he had provided six spoons and some plate against the child being named for him and the minister in christening pronounced the child's name john and samuel pepys carried his silver spoons and plate home again back in the sixteenth century we read that henry the eighth paid one pound six shillings eight pence for carving knives and that mistress brent in fifteen hundred received twelve shillings for a silver fork weighing three ounces a matter of very careful record boiled and fried meats came to the table on silver and the roasts on spits as they were lifted from the fire vegetables were also dressed in silver dishes and as time progressed more and more articles of table service were fashioned from silver social life was progressing merrily in the sixteenth century husband and wife ate from the same dish as evidence of their faithfulness and love possibly the loving cup is also a relic of that day men and women alternated at table and the social graces developed and the amenities of life increased with the handsomer service came courtesy and kindliness table manners table setting and table equipment progressed rapidly from the reign of henry the eighth who started the movement for more luxurious living to the period in which his daughter elizabeth held sway so symbolic was it that shakespeare makes one of his women characters reproach her husband with the fact that she had not dipped fingers in the dish with him for many months then came the picture of queen elizabeth conferring the degree of knighthood on the loin of beef 
the ceremony of which is described in the knighting of sirloin the knighting of sirloin elizabeth tudor her breakfast would make on a pot of strong beer and a pound of beefsteak ere six in the morning was told by the chimes o oh, the days of queen bess they were merry old times from hawking and hunting she rode back to town in time just to knock an ambassador down toyed trifled coquetted then lopped off a head and at threescore and ten danced a hornpipe to bed with nicholas bacon her counsellor chief one day she was dining on english roast beef that very same day when her majesty's grace had given lord essex a slap in the face my lord keeper stared as the wine-cup she kissed at his sovereign lady's superlative twist and though thinking truly his larder would squeak he'd much rather keep her a day than a week what you call this dainty my very good lord the loin bowing low till his nose touched the board and breath of our nostrils and light of our eyes saving your presence the ox was a prize unsheath me mine host thy toledo so bright delicious sirloin i do dub thee a knight be thine at our banquets of honour the post while the queen rules the realm let sirloin rule the roast anonymous spoons were the table utensil they were not provided by the host but each guest produced from his pocket his own spoon to use during his visit were that for a meal or a month these spoons usually of elaborate design were often gifts of one of the sponsors at baptism chief among favourite designs for these spoons was the well-known apostle spoon a rich child with wealthy godparents would probably receive all twelve of the apostles the more humble one or two poor folks must carry their own spoons as well as the rich but theirs were usually of tinned iron and were called latin spoons it is easily seen how our still existing saying born with a silver spoon in his mouth originated it meant more than wealth for possessors of a silver spoon sat during the medieval times at the table on the dais later they sat above the dividing line of the general table always marked by the elaborate standard of all high above the salt lower down came those who were endowed only with the latin spoon and least of all very far from the honour conferring salt were placed those who were armed with spoons of wood forks forks came later and their introduction produced much criticism the objectors holding that fingers were made before forks was not to be gainsaid but as usual progress marched forward with precision and decision forks came from italy and thomas coriat's letters of sixteen o eight cites the new discovery as almost as important as the discovery of america and causes far more discussion coriat writes the italians as well as strangers in italy do always eat their meals use a little fork when they cut their meat it was bad form to put the fingers to the meat dish and worse manners which gave offence to all the company to carry the meat from the plate or dish with the fingers the forks were of iron or steel and some silver ones these being used only by gentlemen queen elizabeth had at least three forks one of crystal garnished with gold and sparks of garnets another of coral slightly garnished with gold and a third of gold garnished with two little rubies two little pearls pendant and a coral but they could only have been meant as curios they were not meant for eating the michaelmas goose of which she was so fond to coriat belongs the honour of first laying the forks on the table and though the pulpit denounced and the public raged forks had come to stay 
in sixteen fifty two Halen alludes to the use of silver forks and in the days of charles the second forks were in common use they were usually of steel sometimes of two prongs occasionally of six the handles were of many materials and scores of shapes some had green some pink and some yellow handles but the silver fork was rare till the beginning of the nineteenth century the fork did much for the simplification and advancement of culinary art by encouraging the taste for solid viands and natural flavours the use of the fork made possible the delicate slice as against the gobbets of meat of the century before and also the fork promotes cleanliness at the table in contrast with the messy days when fingers were used in the bowls the introduction of the fork also made possible choicer table linen finer cloths and handsome napkins there soon developed definite rules for folding and laying the napkin so that there was published diagram showing twenty-five ways to fold the napkin knives forks and spoons platters ewers and basins being introduced and accounted for the custom of a more dignified setting of table became popular with the improvement of table appliances manners improved and culinary art advanced to higher standards the better to fit the richer and more elaborate table setting and silver service the program of the social amenities began to develop in the time of queen anne who was an adept in culinary arts and a devotee of gastronomic delights the men and women of that period were good stout trencher folk and life was expressed in good eating in this period a more attractive and more stately service for meals was developed silversmiths were set at work to achieve higher standards of art and metalwork and royalty gave the sign for higher standards of living and more delicate methods of eating before forks came into use it was the duty of the carver who stood near the table to cut the slices of meat in a gobbet then slit the slice in four almost to the top so that it could more daintily be bitten and more conveniently masticated coriat in his interesting letters from italy describes the use of forks he writes for while with their knife which they hold in one hand they cut the meat out of the dish they fasten their fork which they hold in their other hand upon the same dish so that whatsoever he be that sitting in a company of any others at meal should unadvisedly touch the dish of meat with his fingers from which all at the table do cut he will give occasion of offence unto the company as having transgressed the laws of good manners insomuch that for his error he shall be at least brow-beaten if not reprehended in words hereupon i myself thought good to imitate the italian fashion not only when i was in italy but in england since i came home large platters appeared for holding the generous roast and the gaily ornamented fowl and the service of fish was highly decorated queen anne with her friend sarah jennings first duchess of marlborough did much to develop the amenities of dining it was a gay age for wealth was increasing rapidly from the american colonies as well as from other sources table silver then as now was the evidence of its presence and the expression of the good taste and fine judgment of their possessor the choicest heirlooms of to-day are the fine tableware of silver of that and succeeding periods and from that period date our present standards of good living and its culinary art the succeeding georgian period including george one two three and four gave much indignified table service to the present time and examples of it are much sought for the scene of silver-making activities now shifts from the merry england of the four georges to the bleak american shores for here was made even in the earliest days silver tableware of excellent design in correct form many of our pieces of early colonial design and fabrication have been unjustly credited to british origin and english design 
on the presumption that their high quality of craftsmanship could not have been produced in america at that early date silversmithing is an early american art there was a silversmith named thomas howard registered in jamestown virginia in the sixteen twenty arrivals and in sixteen thirty four john mansfield was a silversmith working in charleston massachusetts in the period from sixteen fifty to seventeen thirty some excellent work was produced and silver spoons with trifid handles monograms on back are still in existence there were domed and globular teapots or fat and thin as they were frequently described there were of course tankards beakers and cups and always very good salt cellars the salt cellar still holding its favorite place on the table also there were interesting and now obsolete pieces the potato ring and the muffineer the potato ring was a ring of pierced and wrought silver large enough to encircle a moderate-sized platter and hold in place a good mound of baked or boiled potatoes the muffineer may be called the progenitor of our salt shakers except that it was intended for sugar and not salt from seventeen thirty to seventeen sixty five the designs for spoons were more varied the most common design being the one described as rat tail with the advent of paul revere into the art of silversmithing came a broadening of design for the revere designs include scroll embellishments such as cockle shells sometimes birds the front of the handle was decorated and a more artistic effect secured more kinds of spoons were made such as salt spoons and marrow spoons with their usual bowl and the handle drawn into a long narrow scoop the first forks made here were done by john Noyes of boston sixteen seventy four to seventeen forty nine and are now in the boston museum they have silver handles and steel prongs knives were occasionally made with silver handles but they were rare most of them having bone grasps so much for early flatware porringers of silver were in early use and bear the somewhat earliest dates of all hollow tableware teapots coffee pots cups tureens sugar bowls and platters as well as silver patch boxes to carry the ever-present piecework of the day followed as the wealth of the colonies increased and their living group more comfortable silver expressed best the choicer family pride and gave evidence of richer family traditions while new york philadelphia baltimore and other places produced choice silver and other wares the center of the industry has always been in new england in the list of the early silversmiths we find jabez gorham recorded as a silversmith in providence rhode island in seventeen ninety two and in eighteen twenty john gorham was entered as a silversmith then in new haven connecticut miles gorham antedated both for he is of definite record as a silversmith with the dates of seventeen fifty seven to eighteen forty seven a period of ninety years small wonder that our best traditions of silver lie with the house of the gorham associates who so splendidly carry forward the traditions and examples of the earliest members of the house end of section one